Piano man, front and center. What's your name? Lawrence. Lawrence, you ever played keyboards? Any techno? No, I only play piano. Okay, all right, fair enough. Try this out for me, okay? Just give this a try on my count, all right? One, two, three, four. Yes. Come on, come on, come on, come on, not touch me, babe. Woo! Oh, this is from School of School of Rock. Yes. Oh. I see. Stop. That's perfect. You're perfect. Stay right there. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. Um, Jack Black's going to sue us now. Yes. So, uh, welcome to Dan Hates the Beatles. Uh, We're going to go (laughs) in a different direction. (laughs) Yes. Because, Uh, Daniel, we'd run out of Beatles Beatles material. Uh, So, to the purists out there, I'm pretty sure there are things that we could do. Oh, yeah, probably. We could probably do the movies. Probably... I'm sure we sk- we probably missed an album out there, but Besides. for the purposes of what we're willing to do for now, I think we have we've done the Beatles. We we, <laughs> we were going into solo we territory, and the problem yeah. was that we both thought it sucked. Well, it's it wasn't bad enough to be fun, yeah, and it wasn't interesting enough to be fun. And I, I didn't really like it. And so I think it takes one of us to actually like the music for this to kind of work. Yeah, so we're in a we're in an interesting place because we are we're going to try the doors. Yeah, and, and this I, could actually turn into us just trying different bands. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so uh, let me tell you my relationship with okay. the doors, which I think I've probably talked about before, which is I know you have but I don't remember it. My, I'm, I'm sure my dad probably listened to something of The Doors, but he wasn't like a big Doors fan per se. But my older brother, Jeremy, was a big Doors fan. And of course, you know, he's a cool teenager and I, and he's my big brother. So anything he liked, I liked. So that was my first um, uh, exposure to The Doors was my, my brother listening to them. And um, who knows if that, pl- how much of a role that played. I am. I do now consider myself a fan of the Doors. I like their music. I like a lot of their songs. I recognize like a lot of musicians and bands that there are certain elements, particularly of Jim Morrison, that are probably problematic. Yeah, but I think that that's unlike John Lennon. That's kind of his aesthetic. Like he's. I don't want to say that he's not accidentally being problematic, but I think he owned owned it to an extent where he's like, yeah, I'm a. Big fucking drunk weirdo. Yeah, possibly, but um, but you know me, just like I, I kind of, uh, I, I just want to focus on the music. Not even, you know, uh, it's all about the music for me um, in regards to this particular podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's my uh, those brief uh, <laughs> doors. How did you come to know the doors in your life? Oh, Daniel? the doors. Um, I think my sister was kind of into them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Here's the thing with the doors is I don't actively dislike them, and I think that, but I don't necessarily like them. I think that they um, they did some interesting things. Uh, Jim Morrison is a 
fascinating human being to me and not necessarily in good ways. Mainly because in the around the time the Oliver Stone movie came out, there was like a resurgence in people being interested in the doors. Sure. And this bullshit started going out there about like oh, Jim Morrison's like our greatest American poet. And <laughs> like I'm really glad he wasn't Who alive. It's was just a bunch of people okay. at the time. I don't know if you remember like when we were in the middle of like peak jewel when she was like the greatest American poet too. Sure, She's sure. like, Art of Generations, Jim Morrison. Sure, sure. And she just like she just started playing into that bullshit. And um Are we I, gonna do Jewel next? Is that what you're saying? I mean we could. Okay. Um so of course I resist that. I'm not into that. I think that's stupid. Uh I think his lyrics are accidentally interesting sometimes. He's clearly an educated person. So he's a theater kid who I think figured out if you insert enough like weirdness and references into your lyrics, it'll like get people interested, which is great. I mean, that's probably how I would write lyrics if I wrote lyrics. So I can't really like fault him for that. I mean, so this will be a little bit of a change as far as the lyrics go from the Beatles. Not only is it, you know, 10, 15 years later. No, it's not. This is, uh, 67 was the first. Oh, that's right. So, so they're, they're existing in a post Beatles world while the Beatles are, this well, is, they're this still was released, there, but it's not the height of the Beatles power, right? This was, I actually looked into this. This first album was released either the year of Sgt. Pepper or the year after. Interesting. So basically what I found interesting is that, this exists in a world where the Beatles have been the Beatles for a period of time and they just started to be like the Beatles, like the most important band ever kind of Beatles. Um, Other fun fact about Jim Morrison is I grew up in Claremont, California. Mm -hmm. uh, 91711. Love that show. Um, (laughs) And... uh, there is a guy who I don't know that he was homeless, but if I had to guess, I would say probably homeless. It's Jim Morrison, is he? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is that my, um, I guess, I don't know much about his like life, but apparently he kind of like disappeared slash died, I guess. And there were rumors that he was like floating around that area. And my dad <laughs> had a running joke, either with or at my sister, that whenever we saw him wandering around, he'd be like, hey, it's Jim Morrison. Because uh, yes. <laughs> he could, he looked like someone who could have been Jim Morrison at some point. Of course. <laughs> um, before we go any further, let's just get into the first song. Um, okay. And then we'll, we'll talk more about the band. So uh, The Doors' first album, their debut album, was simply called The Doors, Released in 1967. I didn't know it was that early. Um, and their first song, track number one, is a little ditty that we call Break On Through, parentheses, to the other side. Mm. Little cha cha. <laughs> Josh is dancing in his seat. <laughs> Shakers going in the back. 
So, one of their most popular songs, I would say, of their entire career is this mm-hmm. very first track number one. You don't one. say. I've never heard this. <laughs> <laughs> this is The Doors? Yeah. <laughs> Las Puertas in Spanish. And this is Paul McCartney's band? Is that... Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. And then... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean... Mm. I love this. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> How many bands have an organist? It, it, it's 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 a problem for me. <laughs> What's your problem with the organ? It's grating. This this tone of organ specifically, um, and I think partially because, I mean, I don't know how much you know about an organ, but like, there are one of the things that makes an organ fun is there are many different sounds that an organ can make. Okay, and this is one of the many different sounds. All it would take is for some organist in any one of those, these bands to take one of those switches and turn it ever so slightly <laughs> and it would sound like marginally different <laughs> and so just and, and this isn't the doors fault i don't know the organist's name uh, i don't know cheech marin is i guess um, ray men's ray, ray, ray anthony <laughs> and his orchestra all yeah. played the organ together um it's I, it's not a him problem necessarily, but he is yet another one of those people who did not look at the it's, thing in front of him and say, "Well, we know what, what if kind of I just press this button?" <laughs> it, it's it's a hundred percent a Dan Shaw problem. This is one of those yes. things you have a very specific. I would have never even noticed that the organ could possibly be you know a, a sounding bad or it's like in the wrong setting it's not i'm not even saying it's the wrong setting i'm just saying you live in this world where you are you're you're an organist and you have this thing in front of you that the entire point is it can make a lot of different noises (laughs) and you just there's no curiosity of like huh what's this do (laughs) It's just well, I guess we're. I guess it's just organ, <laughs> and it wouldn't. <laughs> it would be such a big step, especially because people were so impressed by every little tiny thing at this time, because they didn't know and they didn't know what sound was, mm-hmm. what music was, because mm-hmm. the Beatles were popular, so of sure. course they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, I mean, it would be would have been groundbreaking. For Beatles any- catching strays. <laughs> That's not right. about them anymore. <laughs> I mean, I'm just it, <laughs> okay. Aside from the would have been the such setting, a big thing. <laughs> uh, isn't this, is there isn't there something cool about having an organ player in your rock band? It's it's not. I mean, yeah, it's not not cool. It's not innovative though. And well, it doesn't have to be innovative. But I'm just saying, it's 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 cool and. Aside from the setting number three B that he's using, mm-hmm. would you say he's pretty skilled? Like it's like he's pretty good at, at, at uh, coming up with these solos, right? That are on the organ. He's, he doesn't strike me as a bad organist. Sure. And there are parts, there are times when he seems to be a good organist. And I know when some of the other bands at the time, they were really just like mashing the keys, like they do that a little bit in this, but. Um, not this track, but um, you know who a good organist is. Who the the guy who founded Portland? 
<laughs> Stupid. Listen, <clears throat> Raymond Daniel Mansarek Jr. was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. He was born to parents of Polish descent, blah, blah, blah. Upon graduating from St. Rita of Cassia High School in 1956, six Mansarek matriculated. What the hell does that even mean? At DePaul University. Become a mother. What is, I don't even know what this word means. Matriculated. Um, the formal process of entering a university. So he enrolled at DePaul University. Okay, sixth grade essay writer. You don't have to use the fancy, fancy words. Can you stop making fun of a sixth grader? Um, where he played piano in his fraternity's jazz band. <laughs> That was the cool. That's the coolest frat ever. He also yeah, he also participated in intramural football. Served as a treasurer of the speech club. Um, blah blah blah. He graduated with a degree in economics. Um, in late '61, Mansarek briefly enrolled or matriculated at the U University of uh, California, Los Angeles School of Law. Unable to act acclimatize good god to the curriculum he transferred to the department of motion pictures television and radio as a graduate um, student before dropping out altogether uh breaking up with the girlfriend jim morrison because oh, they were don't all theater a, don't, don't get ahead of the story here okay, i'm, I'm okay, weaving okay, together okay, threads okay, of history got it, here got um although he attempted to enlist in the army signal corps as a camera operator he was instead assigned to the highly selective army security agency as prospective intelligence analyst um, okay, so that's a brief uh, 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 history on the organist. He's um, the guy that was played by Kyle MacLachlan in the movie, yes. right? Okay, yeah. Right. Um, Mr. Twin Peaks himself. I'm going to yep. let my dog out real quick. Mr. Twin Peaks was this guy. Um, I mean, yeah, if I wanted to step into character mm -hmm. more than I already have, or like willingly... Um, I could probably do some damage with this, but it's not bad. It's not great. The music or just the organ part? All of it. Yeah. But I mean, like, and again, this is, this is a place where I'm, I'm the weirdo, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. I, I listen to Brian Eno religiously and like he makes Boring music. You mean emo? Brian emo. Brian emo. Let's go to track number two hmm. from The Doors, which is called Soul Kitchen. I don't know if I ever heard this song before. Um, I haven't heard all of The Doors song, not even close. Um, right, because you, you're you not necessarily an album person. You're just a... That's true. I heard this song, it's by these people, and I like those people. Well, I like this song, but then once I hear two or three songs, then I'm like, then okay, it, now I yeah. like this band. It's a pattern. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. All right, here's Soul Kitchen. Oh, I have, of course, heard this song before. Starting off with the organ. Yep. How would you characterize the genre of the, of this this first album here? These first two songs. What would you characterize? The sloppy drunk guy in his band. Be serious. No, me. I mean, like, I mean, I actually mean that, but... Uh, it, what are the influences that you're hearing? R&B, but really more B, like blues. Um, blues. I, so, I listened to all of this... Sloppy drunk. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> but, I mean, if you take away any, like, like, judgment, that could be a cool aesthetic. 
It's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm sloppy drunk, guys. My band. And I think that that's... that's it becomes a, at some point nothing but that. But um, I think that this is... A bunch of people who who, who heard Rubble 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 Rubble, they got in a time machine. Rubber Soul? (laughs) Yes, yes. They they listened to Rubber Soul, and they were like, "Hey, let's make that album, but do it like a good version." And because that could be a person's entire aesthetic. And I'm I'm sure that there is a whole like generation of musicians that heard Rubber Soul. And they were like, holy shit, this is a new thing. Because it kind of was at the time. And they were like, oh, what if what if the Beatles actually committed to this sound? What would that sound like? And that turn probably turned into a bunch of live acts and everything. Um, I think this is... Yeah, it's post-Beatles. I, I think this is post-Beatles. Because I think if you're making music at this time... So, okay, genre, uh, blues-based, post-Beatles pop. And I don't mean any of that in a judgmental way. Because I think that if you are making music at that time, anything that you make is going to be a reaction to the Beatles. Even if it's even if you choose to not react to the Beatles, that is still a reaction. Because mm-hmm. just... They're the best and most important band ever. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what do you think of this guitarist? And he this song? Some, uh, I was going to get into his politics, so I'm going to clarify. <laughs> uh, it's fine. I, I, don't, I like that it's... They, they all seem to be capable of doing interesting things. Yeah. And they may or may not always do interesting things. This is another one where it's just like, okay, fine. Organist, just look at that knob over there. But okay, cool. Like, <laughs> doesn't have to be on him to make that change. Um, if I were uh, a 59-year-old divorced white man, mm-hmm. I heard this, I would say, mm, that's funky. I'm not gonna say that. No. But it's very it's like for for someone like myself who I don't dabble much into blues or jazz. I, I listen to old jazz, I put it on um as kind of like reading music. Um, but I don't listen to a lot of blues, old blues. So you like a lot of people relate to jazz as like a wallpaper kind of thing? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Like okay. I, 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 Mo- I most people are like that. Right. Um I enjoy it because yeah. some people are just like turn this shit off, uh, you know. And I was like, I, I, I like this music. It's it's I I, I like it like um, yeah, it's like classical music where, um, yeah, I, I put it on and it's it's soothing. It's not something to just ignore. It it facilitates a mood of relaxation or focus for me mm-hmm. um, without um, being too catchy or distracting, so I can read. But um, so yeah, that is that is my relationship. So. Someone who's not totally um, a blues or jazz fan. This is like my sort of where I get to hear someone influenced by that, kind of use it in a rock sort of way, mm-hmm. 
and I really like it. I really like that aspect of it. Um, it's funky, um, and mm-hmm. it makes me shake my head. I'm like, ooh, I, I like this style. So um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but that's 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 my sentence that I just said. <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, at this time a lot of people are existing in that blues place, and it's just kind of how it's it, at at this point. It's kind of how heavy do you go with it? And I believe this is before we're into Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath er- territory. Mm-hmm. So, like, metal, this is pre-metal. Um, and I could I could be completely wrong on my timeline there, but I don't think I am. And uh, it's pre-metal and, and pre-psychedelic. So we get a lot of noodly stuff. Um, and that comes from them being into jazz. These are just a bunch of weird art kids. Yeah, and when you have weird art kids making art, making rock music, you usually get loud, aggressive, or and needlessly complicated. And I don't mean that in a bad sense necessarily. Again, this we're not with this album. We're not really to the problematic parts of the doors for me yet thus far this seems anything but aggressive and like this seems a little bit more nuanced right like at least to me it seems like they're yeah but you can kind of hear like oh this band could if they decided to become more aggressive they could really push that you know Robbie Krieger was born in Los Angeles California to a Jewish family his father an engineer was a fan of classical music while his mother enjoyed Frank Sinatra and stuff like that. <laughs> that's, that's a quote. <laughs> you know, that's uh Peter and the Wolf was the first record that captivated him. I don't know what that is. I've heard of that. Peter and the Wolf? Do you know what that is? Uh, they were, the, Peter was a, uh, a, a swing band director, uh, and he would, his band, The Wolf, they would go mm-hmm. to all sorts of county fairs and uh, play music. That's what Harvey Keitel's character from Pulp Fiction is based off of. Right? Yes, the, the entire band. Yes. <clears throat> um, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, at age of 10, he tried the trumpet, but found it was not for him. He began playing the blues on his parents' piano so with much more success. Trumpet with your yeah. butt. Yeah. <laughs> um, at 17, he enjoyed playing a friend's guitar. Krieger attended a Hebrew school with his twin brother, Ronnie. Oh, twin brother. While Krieger was a boarding student at a private school called Menlo School, Menlo Park, California, there was a study time at night that allowed him to teach himself to play the git fiddle guitar. He began by first detuning a ukulele to the bottom four strings of a guitar, mimicking a record he had. Uh, later in the mid-60s, scholar Frank Chen taught Krieger how to play the flamenco guitar. Hmm. During a Christmas break, Krieger and two classmates took a vacation to Puerto Vallarta, where he purchased a peg-tuned Ramirez guitar and took lessons for a few months. He played many genres, including flamenco, folk, blues, jazz, and played in a jug band. <laughs> um, what is he, Emma Daughter? The Back Bay Chamber Pot Terriers at Menlo. After high school, uh, Krieger attended the University of California, Santa Barbara. Uh, he listed guitarist Wes Montgomery, Albert King, and Larry Carlton among the biggest influences of his style. And his flamenco guitar playing can be heard in the song Spanish Caravan. We'll get to that later. Um, 
Okay, that's his. That's his, a little bit of his early life. Are that's that's either, guitarist. Are either of those two people that we've covered, uh, Kyle McLaughlin or Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. are either of them still alive? That's a good question. Um, uh, First, okay, so before we get in this, of the four, see. we know Jim Morrison is dead. Of the th- what? Of the three, oh, do you know how many are living? Krieger is alive. Okay. In our dreams. Manseric died in 2013. Okay. And the drummer, John Densmore, uh, is still alive. So two out of two. Two alive, two dead. Do you think that in... Assuming that we continue talking about and doing the doors and walking through doors and listening to doors, do you think one of those two will die during this process? Yes. Which one? Unfortunately, sadly, it'll be Robbie Krieger. Okay. And that'll leave just, just the drummer. The drummer. And just like with the Beatles. Uh, I think McCartney's going to go before Ringo, and it'll be just the drummer's left. <laughs> <laughs> the third song on this album is called The Crystal Ship. Let's listen to it. Before I know I know that we're rusty because I almost said the crystal shit. <laughs> like to have a more low key soft and in songs like this there are a lot more songs where Jim Morrison, his voice is its definitely like a, a bigger instrument in the song yeah. than... He's hes a lot like uh, Bono in that way, where it's like they, he starts off in this lower place, and because he's a theater kid, like he knows how to like... how to mediate the dramatics, the dramatic flair in mm-hmm. his voice. This register for him, I... I think would have. I don't like this register for him, but I—that's just the my ears thing, you know. It sounds thin and insincere, but I mean, whatever. Not in that way that makes me go like, uh, "This is crap." It's just kind of me noticing my ears going, mm, "Don't like that so much," because. Is it because, like, I mean, I don't think he has a kind of a soothing voice, but like he, I wouldn't say, I don't think anyone would say that he's one of the best singers. He doesn't have a lot of range. He kind of stays, yeah, stays home a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think he's, it feels to me like, like the emotion, of, and this is just aesthetically, it feels like the emotional range is just limited there and I think that like what he's trying to say in the lyrics he's not enough of a theater kid to like get the performance there sure but musically it's fine I don't it's again I'm just I'm just doing the thing that I do I'm not trying to tear the thing down these are just things that I notice it's a it's an okay song well you can't tear it down because it's a great song and you know that deep down inside it's fine and he is 
I, I, this has been mentioned, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot, but for me, I can appreciate it, but it's it's not a big reason why I like the Doors, and it's not a, the same reason where I don't dislike the Beatles, which is the lyrics. So the lyrics here, as you've mentioned, he he would consider himself, a lot of people would consider him a poet as well as... Um, you know, a musician. His his lyrics are a lot more intentional, more interesting and creative than uh, most of the Beatles songs. Right? He's and I, to be, I don't think that he would have. I think he's one of those people who, like, probably, in his most honest point, would have said, like, yeah, I'm am I. I'm not really that great of a poet or a writer, sure. but I'm very skilled at cobbling together ideas in a way that like resemble poetry, you know? And yeah. again, that's, that's fine. That's a valid thing to do. John Densmore was born in Los McCarthy. Angeles, California <laughs> in 1944 to a Catholic family. Isn't it? Isn't America beautiful? We've got some Jewish people, some Catholics. America is lizard people. A beautiful place. Um, <laughs> if there's one thing that I've been saying lately, yes, it's how yeah. much of a beautiful place. You're this a big great fan. Country is. You're a big fan of the U.S. I, I, I love America. You're a big uh, America head. Um, he grew up playing piano and later took up drums, percussion for the marching band at his school. Fucking nerd. He also played timpani in the orchestra. Nerd, biggest nerd. Densmore attended Santa Monica City College and California State University, Northridge. At the latter, he studied ethnic music under jazz cellist Fred Katz. Densmore's drumming influences included hard jazz figures Elvin Jones, uh, the drummer for John Coltrane, whom he referred to as his idol, and Art Blakely. And of course, the drummer has the smallest bio. Penis. On Wikipedia, yeah. <clears throat> um, and he's going to die the last. Uh, yeah. So yeah, these are these are nerds. These are and yeah. As music- people with with a podcast, we're not allowed to say that in a judgmental way. Ooh. Love it. Yeah, um, love it. <clears throat> yeah, these are basically the nerdiest kids in town, um, and they're also reacting to. The Beach Boys, which I forgot to mention, because mm-hmm. at the time the Beach Boys were also a big deal. Yeah, I think that might become relevant later. I don't. Remember. The reacting to it in what way? Well, at the time it Smarty was like pants. Yeah, they wanted. They went around and you know they got their pants wet before recording. <laughs> <laughs> Put sand in their crotches. Yeah. Like, hey, we could be the Beach Boys. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> We need, to, we need to buy glove. Is there some douchebag around? That can... <laughs> I I uh, I might have jumped the gun in saying that because there was a point in listening to this where it's just like, oh yeah, they're also the Beach Boys are part of the cultural stew that they're like yeah. in. Uh, let's go to track number one, two, three, four. Twentieth uh, Century Fox. Okay, here we go. Big movie, guys. Uh huh. Some blues guitar there. Well, she's fashionably lean. And she's fashionably lean. 
Jim Morrison does love him some ladies. So many of his songs are about she, her. Yeah. Yeah. But a very, you know, he's honoring him. Say that. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. Um, So, (laughs) this is like the most Beatles door song that we've heard. Yeah, yeah. And this very well could be an absolute just reaction to uh, "Drive My Car" or whatever. Um, I mean, it it would be a clever one. I just, this song, my brain is broken when it comes to this song, because... Are you familiar with this song? Oh, hell yeah. I don't know. Very familiar. How many times I've heard this song? I'm about to tell you why I'm familiar. School me. Okay. So, uh, I, for a number of months and or years, Uh as a young lad, would Uh go to a place called, uh, what was it called? It was an Italian restaurant. In Claremont, California, in nine one seven one one, where uh, a lounge musician named Ronnie Turso would play. Uh, he was also uh, uh, he played. He's he's kind of a big deal in certain situations. Anyway, he would play, and then he would every <coughs> Wednesday or Thursday night he would invite people up to mm-hmm. to sing songs with him. Mm-hmm. And one of these people, his name was. Marianne, and she brought up her ukulele, mm-hmm. and this was not ironic. She would sing 20th Century Fox every single time. Nothing but 20th Century yeah. Fox, and every single time she sang it, it sounded like she was saying 20th Century Fox. Nice. And it was 20th Century Fox, <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> and we, as a group of people who went, who went there, would every time really hope that Ronnie Terso, who was a is a funny person, um, was he's still alive, but he's like a raging conservative. Um, uh, he, we wanted him to immediately afterwards say "20th century what?" <laughs> he never, he did, never did because he was a mm-hmm. respectful person. Yeah. And he respects our country. <clears throat> I, was um, a, I was not a fan of that song. I'll be honest. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Because I've never really liked that song. <laughs> Did not like it. Um, Jesus. He, Jim Morrison's bio on Wikipedia has like eight, like 18 different sections, like broken down by years. Um, I'll just cover his early years really quickly. Um James Douglas Morrison, born December 8th, 1943, in Melbourne, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his dad was a rear admiral. Yeah, he was. <laughs> in the Navy. Got it. Nailed him. Um, his ancestors, I don't care. Um, oh, his dad uh, commanded the U.S. Naval Forces during the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Ooh. That's interesting. He saw a dead Indian or something? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Yeah. In 1947, when he was three to four years old, Morrison allegedly witnessed a car accident in the desert during which a truck overturned and some Native Americans were lying injured on the side of the road. He referred to this incident in the Doors song Peace Frog on their 1970 album, Morrison Hotel, as well as in the spoken word performances, Dawn's Highway and Ghost Song. <laughs> I, on didn't, the, I didn't know that we oh, had yeah. spoken word. <laughs> on the posthumous 1978 album, An American Prayer. 
Uh, Morrison believed the incident to be the most formative event of his life and made his uh, and made repeated references to it in the imagery in his songs, poems, and interviews. Morrison believed the spirits or the ghosts of those dead Indians leapt into his soul, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and that he was like a sponge ready to sit there and absorb it. Do you think he really thought that, or do you think that he said that to like make his? Uh... I think he eventually uh, he eventually thought it. Uh, maybe that early he didn't really have that complex of an idea, but maybe it was more of a feeling. And then later on, he was like he tried to put words to that feeling. Maybe it just sound that sounds like like image manipulation to me. Possibly. Raised a military brat, Morrison spent part of his childhood in San Diego. Oh. Oh, what do you know? It's our neighbor. Maybe it could have been this house that we're currently <laughs> sitting in. Uh, completed third grade at Fairfax County Elementary School in Virginia. Spent some time in Texas. Um, blah, 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 blah. So he's a military kid, moved around a lot, and then gets into theater. He's a theater kid. He's basically like two of the most irritating types of people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, oh, this is some interesting stuff. So, um, let me see. He was a voracious reader, mm-hmm. um, influenced by Nietzsche. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Hold on, I'm going to get to this part where... Um, Morrison's senior year English teacher later said, Jim read as much as probably more than any student in class, but everything he read was so offbeat. Um Blah, blah, blah. Morrison went to live with his paternal grandparents in Florida. On 62, transferred to Florida State University. Um, While at FSU, Morrison was arrested for disturbing the peace as well as petty larceny while drunk at a home football game in 1963. That's pretty tight. Love that. Just a taste of things to come. (laughs) He soon transferred to the film program at uh, University of California. Uh, Los Angeles, UCLA. There he enrolled in Jack Hirschman's class on Antonin Artaud. And uh, oh, yeah, Artaud's brand guy. of surrealist theater had a profound impact on Morrison's dark poetic sensibility yeah. of cinematic theatricality. Be a dick to people and watch them react. And that's called art. Uh, so, yeah. So he was a film student there. Um, graduated. Uh, let's see. In the middle of 65, after graduating with a bachelor's degree from UCLA Film School, Morrison led a bohemian lifestyle in Venice Beach, uh, living on the rooftop of a building inhabited by some of his UCLA classmates. Uh, he wrote the lyrics to many of his early songs that the Doors would later perform live or record on albums. According to fellow UCLA student Ray Manseric, he lived on canned beans and LSD for several months. He's basically a character from Rent. Yeah, that I think I think that's why I don't like him. Well, stop projecting so much because he's not a character from Rent. He's a he's, real life but, human but that's, being. That's that's what I don't like about. It's like, but it's all genuine. No, I, it's all ge- it's, it's he he wasn't like trying to be. Like, this, this these are actual hippies, right? Hippies now aren't genuine because they're they're trying to like hate hippies. They're they're trying to they're they're it's they a costume to, for them, they right? Need to serve our country. They need to. <laughs> Fight for our freedom. Um, Morrison and Manseric were the first two members of The Doors, forming the group during that summer. They had met months earlier as cinematography students 
Uh, Mancerik narrated the story that he was lying on the beach at Venice one day where he coincidentally encountered Morrison. He was impressed with Morrison's poetic lyrics, lyrics claiming that they were rock group material. Uh, subsequently, guitarist Robbie Krieger and drummer John Densmore joined. A Krieger auditioned at Densmore Rex, Denmore's recommendation and was then added to the lineup. All three musicians shared a common interest in the Maharishi Mahashyogi's meditation practices at the time, attending scheduled classes, but Morrison was not involved in these series of classes. These are all people, like, the these are all prototypes of people who grew up to become the most, like, insane, like, libertarian. Sure. Like, <laughs> like that, that's... Uh, of, of course, uh, the Doors, the name The Doors was inspired by Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception, mm. a reference to unlocking the doors of perception through psychedelic drug use. Uh, that's enough of the bio that I'm going to read for now. Um, but if you didn't already know, if you hadn't seen The Doors, the movie Oliver Stone, mm. you know, they all, yeah, like you said, a bunch of drug using hip, hippies into yoga Poetry, film, film brat, film students from all walks of life. They all met in California, formed a band, and here we are. These are people collecting quotes and references and not like synthesizing or digesting anything. It's just, <laughs> I read a book. There's I'm a lot, interested. There's a lot of projection here. And now I'm going to dress up as a member of the fucking New Order at Star Wars Land because I'm interesting. Look at me. This song's called the Alabama Song. Oh, yeah. Parentheses Whiskey Bar. Huh. Not written by Jim Morrison. This is very, um, it's not like cool bluesy sound it's, no. a, it's more it's more of like uh more um the hipsters are here the hipsters are here <laughs> there's a lot more levity in this song but i actually like it I'm, I'm not annoyed by it mr adorno we got your letter the hipsters have finally arrived <laughs> This also feels kind of Beatles-y, like... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Right? Like the, the weird turns that it's taking, uh -huh. different instruments. Yeah. You love this song, don't uh, you? No. No, I, I, I hate it with every fiber of my being. <laughs> <laughs> because this is, this is a uh, prediction made by the philosopher Theodore, Theodore Adorno uh, come to life. Um... This is ba this is uh, this song was originally uh, in a piece of theater by Bertolt Brecht, and um, Brecht and his buddies <laughs> put together this really cool this 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 aesthetic that it, at the time was really cool because it was like really stripped down and it removed the th theater from theater and it was just like. What if, like, the proletariat... This is the proletariat theater, right? But it was made by a bunch of people who, by having access to being able to be people creating the culture themselves, 
lack direct access to the proletariat. But the whole aesthetic was we're going to have stripped down things and this is going to be like uh, poverty as an aesthetic. And it was really, really cool. Everyone thought it was great. And then a certain philosopher, his name was Theodore Adorno, basically said, and I'm paraphrasing a friend of mine here who is a huge fan of Adorno, basically, yeah, that's really cool, and that looks interesting, and people are going to eat that up, but you better look out, because the hipsters are coming, and they're going to start just making poverty aesthetic stuff um, without any of the good intent that you have because it's just going to be a it's just going to be a look it's just going to be a sound and no one's going to have any concern or connection about where it came from and here we are (laughs) (laughs) so i'll read some more uh, actually, I'll, I'll read some more stuff about the band. Um, <laughs> uh, a little bit more, more concise here. Um, can we, while we're at the song, can we hear Bowie's version of it? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's also terrible. <laughs> Let's see. Show me the way. Alabama song. There's a, there, I think there's, there's two a, versions. There's they're, live. they're both equally bad. Oh, the live one, that's especially fun. Okay, let's do that one. Oh, that's way worse. <laughs> that, but, but he's doing it worse on purpose because it's supposed to be bad. <laughs> so... <laughs> The band had um, a residency at the rundown and sleazy L.A. club London Fog. Uh, the experience gave Morrison confidence to perform in front of a live audience. No, oh, don't you turn that volume down. It's going to get better. And the band as a whole uh, to develop and in some cases lengthen their songs and work uh, into pieces that would uh, appear in their debut album. Mancerik later said that the London Fog, the band, became this collective entity, this unit of oneness. That is where the magic began to happen. Mm. The group soon graduated to the more esteemed Whiskey A Go-Go, where they were the house band starting in May 1966. Six uh, supporting acts, including Van Morrison's group Them. Um, blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute, Jim Morrison and Van Morrison were in the same place at the same time? That's wild, man. I wonder if Morrissey was there. Uh, by the way, anyone who's like not entirely sure that I'm not calling people theater kids in a negative way, just to remind you, I love David Bowie, and he's like the biggest theater kid of them all. <laughs> Bowie? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has a flair for the theatrical? Have you seen that movie, The... Uh, uh, Labyrinth? Uh, no, no. God, no. JFK? Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> the one where David Bowie killed JFK. He yeah. was the third shooter. Yes. <laughs> David Bowie as the grassy knoll. Hello. <laughs> I'm the grassy knoll. <laughs> going to tell you a story about Peter and the wolf. Okay, oh, this is... <laughs> All right, let's go back to the doors. This is track number six. Yes. Oh, God. 
some of that organ go. Mmm. Yep. You know that it would be untrue. You know that I would be Probably their most popular, most successful song. I didn't know that they had so three of these songs. I would say three of their most popular, probably three, three most popular songs are all on their debut album. <laughs> Fire. What do you think about this song? I'm, I'm sure you've heard it so many times. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, 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 it's a song. Um, Baby, you can bite my wire. It's really, uh, lyrically not the most creative, but whatever. Um, I mean, but okay, but at the same time, thinking about the bullshit that was happening in 1967 musically, this is pretty close to saying, hey, let's fuck. And not a lot of people were doing that. Yeah. And get high. Yeah. Possibly. Oh yeah, uh, Ed Sullivan. I guess wanted them to say uh, couldn't get much better. Baby, we couldn't get, get much no better. better. <laughs> and Morrison said, "Fuck you." What a rebel. Um, this is extended uh, organ solo. Oh, thank God, thank God. We need more noodly bullshit. Um, I like it. <laughs> How many? Uh, this is a genuine question. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. In, this, in the mid '60s, how many bands are doing like, like three-minute-long solos in the middle of like songs? It's a good question. I know that this is kind of peak time for that, or towards the beginning of it. I didn't look into, and I meant to, when the Grateful Dead started working. Because they definitely, oh god, they did that. Um, I mean, but this is in the bigger picture of rock music, like from 1950, whatever, up till now. Mm-hmm. This is relatively um, groundbreaking. And yeah, Grateful Dead started around 65, so. I don't know how much chicken of the chicken and the egg stuff is going on here. Um, I just—it's like okay, I get it. You can play your instrument. Move on. <laughs> Good job. The Doors and Light My Fire have been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. They induct songs into the Hall of Fame. You know those those old Grammys—they just will do whatever they want. In 2015, the Library of Congress selected The Doors, I imagine it's this album, not the band, but the album, uh, for inclusion in the National Recording Registry based on its cultural, artistic, or historical significance. The Doors, this album, remains the band's best-selling studio album with sales of over 13 million copies. This is definitely, I think, their first take. Which is fine. I like that they kept the mistakes on. <laughs> this does have the f- the feel of the band kind of like they press record and they're kind of like, oh, I, we're just going to keep going? Okay. <laughs> 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 
And I, 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 I can see myself like if I were to travel back in time and see this band for the first time, I would. It's knowing what like taking like everything that I know except for my knowledge of the Doors. I would probably listen to this and go, "Oh, they want us to know that they listen to jazz." <laughs> 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 you jumped to so many okay. conclusions. We get it. We get it. <laughs> you, you listen to jazz, guys. We got it. We got that. <laughs> I'd rather go listen to jazz. <laughs> it's just. Oh yeah. So that that Alabama song was written and composed in 1927 He's still sucking his own. (laughs) (laughs) I was impressed initially, and I still am. (laughs) But it's just kind of that one thing. (laughs) Yeah, one trick. Yeah. Now I now I want to see like how much jizz comes out. Like I (laughs) want to see the money shot. Yeah. (laughs) Or what else can he do? (laughs) All right. Let's uh, for for the sake of time because I, I do want to get through the whole album. Yeah, for the sake of time, we're going to listen to the entirety of the end. Yeah. <laughs> so this is um, <laughs> speaking of sexual innuendos. The mm-hmm. song's called "Backdoor Man." Oh, I get it. <laughs> the song about a power bottom. If you haven't seen the movie The Doors from Oliver Stone, you should definitely watch it if you're listening out there. Really good movie. <laughs> I like it. It's it's just maybe because I was raised in the Catholic Church. Just, I, maybe maybe that's it. I love, I love the organ. Very bluesy. This song is actually referring to a person who frequently would uh, have biblicals with married women. Because mm. mm, you're out the back door. You have to go out the back door. Well, so. so those of you, get your minds out of the gutter. It is not about a power bottom. I was joking. It's not about the anus. And you're the sick one. It's about some guy getting cut. <laughs> All right. Anything to say about this song? It's fine. It's fine. I'm glad. He I like it. I don't love it. I like sex it. Sex with people. Very. Uh, this is probably their most bluesy song on the album. It's. It's actually. It, uh, pro tip. If you Just can. Just a pro tip. If you can commit to this song, and you do karaoke, do this song at karaoke, oh, and yeah? people will eat it up. People over forty. Oh yes, and the divorced dads will yeah. love it. 
If you go to a, like a Gen Z or millennial, even a millennial bar, they'd be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, that's true. But yeah, if you go to go with some Gen Xers and some some boomers, they'll be like, yeah, yeah. it's a butt song. You'd be like, actually, everyone, <laughs> you just... And you just press stop on, yeah. on the track. Hold on. Uh, excuse me, everybody. I know what you're thinking. And I need to clarify. This is not about gay. This is not about butt sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could be, but that's not the main This is point. not about anal butt sex. This is about... <laughs> this is about uh, a man who was <laughs> of loose morals, who did not have respect for other people's marriages... All right, next song. I looked at you. Ooh, start with the drums. I like the groove. Don't like the organ. I looked at you. You looked at me. Mm-hmm. That's how looking works. I smile at you. You smile at me. You smile at me. Oh. And then the go-go girls come out. Very Beatles-ish. This is, I, yeah, and I think more to my ears, it's, it's like, hey, we need another track to fill out this album. What's everyone else doing? Let's do that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave this one early because I don't care for it. Yeah, it's... End of the Night is the next song. Oh, that's right, yes. Getting kind of groovy. At the same time, too, we have Velvet, Velvet Underground starting to do their thing in New York. Mm-hmm. That influenced everybody, but nobody listened to. And driving over here, I listened to that first Velvet Underground album. It's a very interesting juxtaposition. Because um, it's like, on this, on here, we have a bunch of nerds doing cool rock music. And then with Velvet Underground, we have a bunch of people who hate rock music making rock music. <laughs> I like where this, what this song became when in other people's hands more than anything. That like shoegazy shit. Yeah. Trying to do a slide. It sounds like he's trying to do a slide, a steel guitar, slide steel guitar, whatever I'm trying to say. Just that's what, that's what I said. Um, but I don't think it is that instrument. I think he's trying to make it sound like it. And it sounds like the song is like having a minor stroke. Yeah. It's the soundtrack of someone drifting off into... Oh! 
you seem perplexed by this song. I haven't. I've heard this song, but not a lot, and so this is like one of the first times that I'm actually paying attention. I'm just taking it. I'm just taking it in. Yeah. What I'm trying to get us not, you know, taken down. So I'm talking over it. Oh, <laughs> That's gonna get taken down. Yeah, go go on. All right. Get this one. I like that song. Like you said, shoegazy ish. Uh, next track is "Take It As It Comes." He's doing a lot of cause and effect. I believe when I listened to this album yesterday, this was the first one that I was like, I think I don't like this. There it is. Because I just, I feel like we've had this moment at least like. 5,000 times before in this album. Well, the problem here is this song doesn't really, it's not really good. Mm-hmm. And so when the organ comes in, I, it doesn't, I feel nothing. I don't feel the disdain that you do, but I'm just like, yeah, it's impressive organ playing, but is this, it's place in this, in this kind of bad song, it's, it's just kind of all useless. Well, I, I'm also thinking, like, okay, this is a band that was working live a lot. And True. every band in their set needs the, like, it's okay to go take a shit song yeah. for the audience, you know? And that's actually a necessary feature in a set. Is like, all right, everybody go get a drink refill, go take a dump, do whatever you need to do. Um, here, we're going to play a song that, like, the people who are way into this and just anything that sounds like the stuff that we do, they're going to be into this. Here's that. We don't actually care about it, but we don't like hate it. We just, it's just, this is like, we would go take a shit too right now. Um, and I think that that, this is that track. In fact, I'm fighting the urge to go take a shit. right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'll never listen best, to that song again. Best song by the Twins. No, <laughs> but some may say that this song is... Every song is is someone's favorite, which is amazing to me, but it's probably true. This is the last song of the album. Mm. This is... The end. The end. <laughs> An 11 minute and 39 second yep. song. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think happens in those eleven minutes, based on what you've heard from this album? What do I think happens in those eleven minutes? Yeah. Um, do you think Vietnam, you- Apocalypse Now? <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything else either. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, that that image of the jungle being blowed up, yeah, right when he says "This is the end," is so so powerful. It's cool. Lead singer Jim Morrison initially wrote the lyrics about his breakup with an old girlfriend, Mary Werbelo. How old was she? But it evolved <laughs> through months of performances at the Whiskey Go into a much longer song. This is the end. 
So start off as a breakup song and mm-hmm. evolve into something else. Yeah, just like Midsummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the end. My only friend. I, I love, I do like the guitar at the top. The little riffs that he's playing. Um, really cool riffs. I like them a lot. Not just the... Not just that barren and the high, but the low. There's some low stuff going on in the back. Um, that's cool. It it is a good song. It, it it's if we're gonna dust off the old like trophy case of these are songs that deserve to be given the amount of praise that this band has been given. I think this is obviously one of them. Yeah. Um, the, but it, it it could be seven minutes long. I mean, if, if you're going seven <laughs> seven minutes, might as well go to eleven. Minutes. But again, at the same time, I th- and just speculation here. I think this is a man a band that's trying to be a lot of things for a lot of people. But I mean, not in like in a commercial way, in more of a like showing off their versatility way because they are skilled musicians. I think this is. Um, the noodly bullshit is I, I guess what I'm trying to say is playing that game where I go back in time again and I see this band live this moment happens and I've been told that like they really go balls to the wall on their last their last uh, song Yeah, I would be like okay everything I've heard up till now I'm really looking forward to where this goes because this is going to be insane it, it does pay off. And it would be a perfect time for uh, Ray Mancini or whatever, the uh, Kyle McLaughlin, mm-hmm. to reach over on that organ. Flip that button. Flip it. The children are insane. The song does, I mean, it, it goes to this weird, dark, story um that's cool and then of course a little bit of uh maybe a little bit of oedipus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wreck shit happening mm-hmm. so first album the doors uh their best-selling album I had I, I never know like which songs are which albums. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed that a good portion of their <laughs> really good songs are all in the first yeah. album. Yeah. I just got them all out of the way. You know what that means. It's, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or generally <laughs> when a band's been around this long, <laughs> they don't hide the good tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, as we close out this first episode of Dan Hates the Doors, <laughs> let's, let's try to, what are, what are your thoughts on this album on its own? Try to divorce it from all your preconceived notions, all your other knowledge about the Doors later work, just this album, good debut album. Yeah. I Great think it is. debut album. 
great uh, debut album specifically i would say yes yeah i would say that too um really strong strong first album for or us. if this was like a band like let's say like a band like the beatles were to like go away for a couple of years and then come out with this and it's like a departure from form i would be excited if i if i was listening to this album for the first time at that time i would probably be very excited by these people like oh god what are they gonna do next yeah um and please let it include more organ Um, (laughs) just in the middle of this it's like he has like different fragments of he just like took random pages from his poetry book and just most likely and and are started to insert them as verses in here and and there's a there's a way to do that that is and I think we're still in this place that is like respectable Mm mm-hmm but then there's another way, and I don't know for sure that he gets there. I just, I, I think he does, where it's like, you know what? I could just take a giant piss on these people, and they would still love it. And he just kind of just does that. Um, and um, he put his boots on. And I think that for me, it's a, it's a real act of betrayal when somebody who. He like knows but John Lennon didn't know better. He was just a douchebag who mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, people think I'm saying important things, so I guess that means I'm saying important things." And he's just kind of a he's kind of an idiot, <laughs> you know. He's just a, a dumb guy who became successful, you know. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't call him dumb. He's dumb. He's no scholar by any means. Look, is he still alive, Josh? Huh? No. <laughs> then he's he was, he's not smart enough to still be alive. Outsmarted is he? by death. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. He's like he's like he's like the the idiot that just was in the right place when the promotions went around. And it's like oh okay, I guess John's in charge now. <laughs> but Jim Morrison, like he's a smart dude. He has a he has a strong backing in like. Aesthetic theory and mm-hmm. philosophy and poetry. So, like, when someone like that starts playing the "I'm gonna piss on the audience" game, I can go a couple ways because I can think about it from like a Dada's perspective of like, okay, yes, they will put up with it, so it makes sense for you to do that because that's like rebellion but then the other i'm really interested with how this is gonna go so i'm trying to say (laughs) (laughs) well my response would be if he well is he actually doing what you're saying he's doing because i mean that's just like your opinion, man. Right? It's like one of those yeah, things. Like, yeah. is he, maybe he maybe he stayed true to his art forever, but to you, it seems like toward the end he's pissing on them. But that's just his natural evolution. No, what I'm telling you is that his his the, the people that he is reading and and the 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 stuff that he is consuming is 
a hundred percent telling him that pissing on your audience is art. Mm. Like I'm not like almost literally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that stuff wasn't contemporary. That was more like that stuff that he was, the people that wrote that were, rebelling against a different set of circumstances um yeah I uh it, it, it's it's weird I mean if I'm being really honest I think Jim Morrison and I in some ways are kindred spirits mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there it is and, I, and I'm aware of that, <laughs> and, and 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 I admit that the same is true about John Lennon in some ways. Um, and I think for me, it's more a matter of like how much how <laughs> how much of the parts of myself that I actively edit on a moment-to-moment basis are these people being? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> How much longer in the track? <laughs> this is the end. This is the end of the track? It's got about a minute left. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it went more batshit. It kind of went batshit in there. I think you were you kind of missed it a little mm-hmm. bit. Okay. A little crazy. I could also be... I think there's another song... Is this the one where he says he wants to kill his father? Yeah. Okay. I missed that part. Let's kill his father. father. Yes, son. I want to kill you. I want to kill you. Mother. Yes, son. I want to. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favorite moments. He's like, yes, son. (laughs) son. It's like, it didn't need to be there. And this is the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. We will. Are we? What should we promise our audience in terms of? Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Uh, I think we both want to continue doing. I'm gonna this. piss on the audience. <laughs> I think we both want to continue doing this, but I don't think we're capable of doing it with the same regularity that we used to. Mm-mm. Um, I think they've gotten that hint. I think so. Yeah. But I think that... We'll try. Yeah. We'll continue trying. Yeah. And so... Um, we love you. We love you. Do you love the Doors? Fuck no. Do you love the Beatles? Hmm. Hmm. No. No. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye. I love America. Got to. <laughs> Never cover, everybody. <laughs> Let's get out of here.